0: doing it is the fun part the result is a byproduct like making more money is great going on trips is great buying better cars is great but the reality is that me right here in my office every single day sitting down and doing meaningful work that i know is going to change other people's lives it's more of just like that's great and it's more of just a game right and it's like i just want to keep playing the game i just want to i want i want to see the points keep going up on the stripe dashboard that's how that's how i think about it
1: You're listening to The Isaac Velez Show, a podcast that inspires high performers to reach new heights and be better than their best. My name is Isaac and I'm best known for my performance coaching, elevating elite athletes and entrepreneurs to unlock their full potential. On this podcast, I sit down and share vulnerable stories on my journey, lessons that I've learned, and I bring on high performers as guests to unlock new insights and share authentic conversations about what winning really looks like. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome everyone to today's episode on The Isaac Velez Show. Today we're introducing the interview series for 2024. I am super pumped. The guest list is going to be insane. I'm gonna have more interviews back-to-back than ever before because I know how much you guys enjoy them. We are starting off with an absolute banger. I am bringing in someone that is young, passionate, energetic, they are crushing it right now, but they are still looking at the big picture. This is someone that I work closely with, they're someone that has been a huge influence in a positive way, being able to uplift me and teach me new ways to not only live in the conceptual as I'm used to, but bring and ground me so I can figure out what I can do to improve and make an impact today. Today's guest is someone that I'm excited to hear some insights as well as the story behind how we got to where he is today, right? The story is what we tell ourselves. The storytelling is such a beautiful aspect, whether it's our own story, the stories that we share and the stories that we learn, it's how we've communicated for such a long time as humans. So without further ado, let me bring on today's sensational guest, Grayson, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, dude, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the the sick intro.
1: Absolutely, brother. So, to get started and so that people can kind of discover who you are, give a bit about your backstory. You know, how did Grayson get to where he is today?
0: Yeah, bro. You want me to go all the way back to the, like the beginning or? <laughs>
1: let's go beginning. Let's go Let's go. 14-year-old Grayson. You know, what was 14-year-old Grayson like and how did he get here?
0: <laughs> okay, 14-year-old Grayson. Well, I uh, I played basketball. That was pretty much like you know, I feel like we're always all in on something at some point. And all through middle school, high school, I was just starting to play basketball. Um, I have pretty short parents, but for some reason I ended up being six foot three, six foot four. So I figured I should take my, my height and uh, leverage it and play some basketball. So I started playing basketball pretty seriously and I pretty much just dumped my whole life into it. Like, you know, two, three hour training sessions every day, weight training, all that stuff. Um, and so once I got to the end of high school, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go try and play in college. And so I committed to a, like a small local school where I live, Washington state called university of Puget sound. And, uh, the day I graduated high school, I also got my real estate license. So I had kind of my foot in both of these worlds of like, I'm trying to make money in real estate license, but also, um, trying to like still pursue this basketball dream. Um, and so I went to college for the first week. It was like this, you know, kind of like onboarding week of school where they show you everything and they give you tours and everything. And I went for the first week. Uh, I had my first 5am morning practice for basketball. And the second after that practice, I went to the I went to my coach and I told him I was dropping out (laughs) because I because I hated it so much. Um, I went to like one, I think class after that, and then I was like, "Yeah, there's no way I'm gonna do this for four years." And so I went to my coach, told him I was quitting, went to the dean's office, and told her that I wanted a refund because um, I had already looked up the the refund policy, and it said if it's within 14 days of starting, you get a full refund. So I got a full refund. Um, and then I went and called up my dad, and I was like, "Hey, dad, you want to get some lunch?" And he was like, "Ah, shoot, I know exactly what's happening." <laughs> and so we got we talked, and I uh, told him that I dropped out. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much when I started my business, moved out to Arizona for a couple of years while my wife, my now wife, my then girlfriend was, uh, finishing up college. She went to George Fox university and, um, yeah, I went to Arizona, started a business online and yeah.
1: I like it. So is your wife, is she, what an age range? What is, what is she to you? Are you older, younger, close?
0: Close. Yeah, we're the same age. So we started dating my freshman year of high school. Um, And we dated all through high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Um, And then we decided to go to different colleges. Originally, we were going to be really close to each other because she goes to school in Oregon. I was going to go to school in Washington. But when I dropped out, I decided that I wanted to go somewhere sunny. So So I moved to Arizona and she was not happy about that. But in the end, it worked out because it also gave me some space to like work on this business that I could get off the ground before she graduated. That when we got married, we actually had, you know, an income to live off of. I wouldn't have to get a job or anything. So,
1: okay. So it's long distance for a little bit, but you guys are pretty much neck and neck on age.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think she's like uh, two or three months younger than me, but really close.
1: Okay, got you. The little high school sweetheart story, I love it. And so let's let's go into the the realm of business, right? You 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 dropped out of college. You realized it wasn't for you. You know, you took a chance and you started business. What was the business world like for you when you got started?
0: Yeah, bro. So well, I got an internship first. So like uh, two weeks into into going to this new college. I went to Grand Canyon university in Arizona first two weeks. I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this whole year and I'm just going to have fun. Like, I'm going to like, you know, I've been working so hard in basketball. I burnt myself out, you know, literally two, three, four hours, every single day, just like working on basketball, working on basketball. Um, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take this whole year and I'm just going to have fun. And so I tried that for two weeks, went to a few parties and I was like, I don't know how people do this, but this sucks. Like, partying's not that fun, these people suck, these people are going nowhere with their life. And so after that, two weeks in, I gave up on my one year fun and I was in class applying for real estate internships. I couldn't use my Washington real estate license in, in Arizona because it doesn't work that way. Um, But I was like, I still have some sort of real estate knowledge. I've been doing a little bit of research. So why don't I at least get some sort of internship in real estate investing? Because that's kind of why I wanted to be a real estate agent to begin with was to learn how to invest. So I start cold emailing like 100 different uh, real estate firms nearby in Arizona, trying to apply for an internship, um, saying that I had all sorts of real estate experience and I had my license and stuff when I really didn't. I had no idea what I was doing looking back. But um, I got one response total from the hundred emails that I sent to all these local real estate places. And I went in for an interview with this local place and they were like, all right, you got the internship. They paid me like ten bucks an hour, (laughs) but I was just happy to learn. So I did the internship. And at first I was like, you know, I'm going to learn all about real estate. Like I'm going to I'm going to like do a whole bunch of real estate things. I'm going to like help these people find properties and deals and analyze properties and like run all these numbers. And then when I got there, he was like, dude, like you have no knowledge on this stuff. We have people that are way better at this than you. What value can you provide here? And I was like, shoot, I have no idea. Maybe like marketing I'm young. I understand social media. I had like grown a small following in the past for like making fun videos and stuff. So maybe I can help with social media. And, uh, he was like, all right, do it. And so I basically took over their marketing. Um, they had like a small team of marketing and, uh, I grew their following to like I think it was like 25 or 30,000 people in a matter of like two months. And that brought them a ton of leads um, and, and new investors. Um, we also ran some Google ads and stuff, which also brought them a ton of leads and investors. And so we ended up raising $10 million that year uh, for their for their new fund. And I kind of took over as like head of the marketing department. So he offered me a full-time job um, after that internship. It was like a six-figure salary. I was 19 years old. And when he offered it to me, we kind of sat down and I pretty much just said, no, like, I'm not going to take it. And the reason was because I had just bought a course on how to start a marketing agency because I now had at least a little bit of marketing experience. And so I bought a course on how to start a marketing agency. And I said, you know what? I'm turning down a six figure salary at 19 years old because I want to um, learn how to make money online and start an agency. And he was like, that's never going to work. Like the, you know, my boss at the time was like, that's never going to work. Like the marketing agency world, like it's a terrible model. I wouldn't do it. You should come work for me. And I said, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. And 16 days later, I hit my first $10,000 month in my marketing agency.
1: There you go. That's, um. It's, it's so interesting to me because obviously if you look at the world of statistics and numbers, like, you know, the, the odds of like, you know, you got the internship, then you get the job, which again, like, I don't know if it's like. 20, 30 percent at, like at most will make six figures in a year, right and then you take the percentage of people that start a business and that's even lower and then to you know make money is even lower. And so it's kind of fascinating when you put to test like how many people try these kinds of things. and obviously you know you've had some years in the game which is different than the one starting now because you know the coach space, the agency space has been more saturated than ever. And now in evergreen business models and in blue ocean strategies that's not a problem. But when it just comes to pure competition and just market share, that is always gonna be a big thing. So I think it's also interesting, you know, the way that you get into things as well. Go ahead.
0: I think think a lot of people get into things with this mindset of like, is this gonna work or not? In fact, I literally just had a client text me probably five minutes before this interview saying like, hey, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm gonna do, right? And I told him like, that's just not how I think. I don't think, is this gonna work or not? I've never thought that. I don't know if it's just the way I was born, if I was bred that way. But I never think, is this gonna work or is it not gonna work? I only think I'm going to make this work, it will work. The question is how well will it work? Like that is the only question that I ask myself is how well is it gonna work? I know it's gonna work. I know that if I do something for a long enough period of time over a long enough time horizon, it's gonna work. If I send enough emails to real estate investors, I'll get the internship. If I work hard enough in the internship and I do a good enough job and I do enough watch enough YouTube videos and learn how to market, then I will get the job. Right, it's not like a will. It's not like it's not a can. You know, will I or will I not? It's a I will because I'm determined and I'm not going to lose. And the question is, how well will it work? So that's how I think. But
1: so, how do you view pivoting in business then? Like, what is your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, pivoting to business or like when no I pivoting like,
1: like within business. Like, if you're making a shift, like if you're changing this strategy and stuff like that, like how do you view pivoting? Um, you know, in your eyes, when it comes to business.
0: Yeah. I mean, i pivoted a whole bunch of times, right? So I, like I, when I first started my agency, I was doing, um, I was going to run Facebook ads for mortgage uh, brokers because I had like, I could speak the real estate lingo. I kind of knew about it. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I think I booked like probably 10 appointments for that offer and I didn't end up closing anybody because I never even, you know, offered it to anybody because I didn't really know what I was doing. So I didn't, I didn't have an offer. I was just kind of reaching out to like all these mortgage brokers and financial advisors Um, kind of just like reaching out to them and asking them like, Hey, like, you know, what would you want in an offer? And so eventually I made an offer for them. I think I made an offer for real estate, uh, brokers and real estate agents. Looking back, I should have just picked one, but I made it for both. And, um, I actually signed a client up and I, you know, he paid me a few hundred bucks and I was like, I hate this. I'm going to (laughs) pivot. And so I pivoted from working with real estate agents because I didn't enjoy it to working with, uh, people that sold things online which at the time I didn't know, but that's coaches, consultants and agency owners. Um, I just said, Hey, if you sell stuff online, I can help you create content, right? Cause that's what I did for myself. And back in the day, that's what I did for this business. And so I pivoted from real estate agents to there. And whenever I make a pivot, like whenever you make a pivot, you almost always have to almost, you know, start from zero in terms of revenue, but you don't start from zero in terms of skill set, right? So I learned a lot by reaching out to all these real estate agents and and financial advisors And I'm glad that I pivoted to working with online business owners, but that was a pivot. I had to start back to zero, right? I got someone to pay me a few hundred bucks, which at the time was a lot of money to me. And I decided, you know what, even though, even though someone paid me, I'm going to pivot to a niche that I know I would be better with long term. And uh, so I made the pivot, but I had skill sets built from working with the previous people. Right. And then when I started scaling up my agency and I pivoted to more of a consulting or coaching model rather than to the agency model, Um, which is like for people that don't know, it's like doing things for people is in the agency, doing things with people or showing people how to do it is like coaching and consulting. When I made that pivot, that was because I knew that I didn't want to continue with the current model that I had, but I had built so many skills that I could leverage in a better way. So it's always like you're building more skills and then when you pivot, you're taking the skills that you built and leveraging them further, right? So like maybe the next step after coaching consulting, which a lot of people do is software. Right, so you take the skills you built in coaching and consulting, and then you turn and you, and you create a software company which has even more leverage, right? And so it's always like taking the skills you have, getting more leverage, taking the skills you have and getting more leverage. That's how I think about pivoting.
1: That's a fair point. I do think that, again, if you wanna have any level of like true success, whatever that metric is defined by the individual, you kind of have to believe like against the odds. Like you can't be a rational believer Cause I feel like anyone that has that level of success, like, you know, the success isn't rational. The numbers don't really back it. And so I've always had the saying of like, it's kind of playing yourself versus playing the odds. Like, can you become the person good enough to make the kind of money you want and the impact as well, converse to, you know, what are the odds of you being able to do that? And so with you, I find it very interesting that, go ahead, actually, what are you saying?
0: I was gonna say, I also wish that people would do these stats of like successful businesses with people that actually consistently did it for 40 hours a week for five years. Right, yeah. like if you did that stat, I think it'd be 99% were successful. But instead they do the stat of like how many businesses are opened every year and then how many make over like, I don't know, it's like 100,000 a year. And that stat is like one out of 10 will end up being successful, whatever it is. Um, but if they did the stat for, hey, what, what what business owners open a business, work on it for 40 hours a week for five years, hit uh, hit over $100,000 a year, I bet you that stat would be 99%.
1: That's a fair point the the question i would have to you is one thing you mentioned there was again not only the pivoting but the scaling component like do you ever you know think about slowing down does that scare you do you ever like bring an up in your head of like just slowing down and taking it easy i know you might not enjoy it but in terms of what it does for you mentally what do you think about that
0: yeah well i've actually tried it before not for that long of a period of time like i didn't try it for years but um you know, I think Hormozzi says like the, the longer time horizons you think and kind of like tell someone how wealthy you are. Obviously, I'm not thinking like that long term yet. Um, but like if we talk about me slowing down and taking time, when I got married, I had just started the coaching business before and I had gotten into like, I think like between 30 and 50,000 a month. I think it was close to 50. And when I uh, when I went on my honeymoon, it was like a two months in Bali. Like we went for two months. I pretty much didn't like scale at all. I was selling everything via chat. I didn't take any sales calls. I barely took any coaching calls. Um, And I was kind of just like chilling. And that was fun for like two months. But what I realized was that like, I don't enjoy making more money. I just enjoy doing the thing, right? (laughs) Like the journey is literally like, it's so cliche, but like the reason we do all this stuff is because doing it is the fun part. The result is a byproduct. Like making more money is great going on trips is great. Buying better cars is great. But the reality is that me right here in my office, every single day, sitting down and doing meaningful work that I know is going to change other people's lives. It's more of just like, that's great. And it's more of just a game, right? And it's like, I just want to keep playing the game. I just want to, I want, I want to see the points keep going up on the Stripe dashboard. That's how, that's how I think about it. It's like a, it's a, it's a fun game that I get to play every single day. And it makes a great impact impact on people. I can give money to my family. I can give money to my parents. I can pay for things. I can, I can go on trips. I can donate money to church. So it's like, it's, it's a fun game that we get to play. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to think about why we're here on earth to begin with, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously you just say it like it's what you love to do, right? Like you'd love to be able to work on things and the process of getting to the destination is really what becomes fulfilling. How would you define money? You know, what do you think your relationship to money is?
0: Dude, I've actually been thinking about this a little bit because I feel like I have a, I feel like I don't have like the best relationship with money, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I don't, I feel like I don't, uh, not that I don't value it, but that I don't quite understand it yet. Like, I feel like when you, when you make a lot of money, which is relative, right? Like a lot of money for our age, quote unquote, right? But not a lot of money compared to like Warren Buffett or something, right? <laughs> um, but when you make, a lot of money for, for a young person, you don't really know how to think about money. Like you spend $10,000 on a vacation to Aspen like I did last week. And then you, you ask yourself, like, was that a good decision? Like, is that, like, does that even feel real? Like $10,000 went on my bank account. But like, I don't really, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, I don't feel a certain way. Like when some when a client pays me $10,000 for me to coach them or whatever, I don't like, I, I don't feel anything anymore. When that money comes into the account, I'm more excited about the fact that they're gonna change their life and change their business. And just the fact that our sales process worked than I am about the actual money. Like I am like I don't, the money itself is just like saying, yes, we need that as a win to get along the way. But like, it's it's just a part of the journey. So for me, I'm trying to like work on my relationship with money and figure out like, how do I think about this? Because I need to understand that it is real and that it's not just a game, but at the same time, it's all made up right like money's all fake so it's like it's a it's a weird balance in my head that i'm still trying to figure out um like how much money should i spend how much money do i want to make how much money is possible to make but so far it's just it literally felt like a game like the stripe dashboard for me right now maybe it'll change in the future but it literally just feels like a game like a fake game that i'm playing so
1: No, that's fair. I've spent a lot of time, you know, researching myself, but I've also spoken to a couple of people and we've done on the podcast, the psychological impact of making money early or having success early as deemed by like athletes, influencers, like people at a young age that are still going through development phases as we are processing those kinds of changes because then the valuation of them becomes very iffy. And so we've also recognized that a lot of times what happens is when we're younger, we get really good at seeing parts of the picture. But then because we're so good at those parts of the picture, we don't see the bigger part of the picture and we don't see what's missing. And so the problem also becomes, you know, like you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things that really do define money. Like a lot of people who don't have money fear money, right? They feel like money is kind of like, you know, Uncle Sam knocking on the door, like these, they're scared of it because they don't understand it. And there's a part of you where you don't even, there's a part of you that doesn't respect money because you've learned how to make the money. And so it's also like, you know, it's kind of like, why do you need to care about money if you don't like need it anymore and you don't have to respect it? And so, you know, the one thing that we've learned from studying historians is the most general consensus has been that money is a language. It simply just reflects the nature of power, right? You're able to your ability to create a transaction. Like you've mentioned in marketing, the person that wins in the end is the person that can spend the most to acquire a customer. And so these kinds of shifts, go ahead.
0: And that's why I called my company value creator, was because you know, like we can talk about making more money, but at the end of the day, what we're doing in exchange for money is creating value out of thin air. Like that's kind of what marketers do is we say like, hey, like I'm gonna literally create value out of thin air, launch an offer. Like that's what online business is. We're not selling some sort of like product, right? Like we're literally selling value out of thin air, out of the words that I say, right? So like, that's that's why I call my company value creator. But I also get what you say, like I don't respect money yet. I think that I have like a, I, like I, I, if I'm being honest, like I don't respect money yet, um, probably because I've never had to, like there have been like hard financial times, but there's never been, um, at least now, a time where like I'm really concerned about it. Um, and so I honestly don't know how to think about it yet, but I like the way that you describe it as a language.
1: It's just interesting stuff when you compile what it makes sense, because I mean like, like obviously I've always found the lesson to be the more I discover the less I really know. But then it's like when you put these gaps of knowledge with people who have had, you know, 15, 20, 30 years more experience than you do and you just kind of learn. It's been super interesting because something that I've developed to work on is I love learning from people with more experience, but it's hard to be interested to hear from someone that doesn't have more experience in like in any area more than you do, because it's like, you know, what are you supposed to be interested about? And I've learned that one of the funny things, too, is I'm great with details. Like I can remember any specific instance of something that happens only if I care about it. So, like, if I'm in in a networking event and I'm meeting people that I really want to, like, remember, I can remember all their names, their faces, and what they told me. But, like, conversely, if I'm, like, around, you know, a typical young person, I typically don't remember anything. Because it's just, like, it's so fascinating. Because, like, again, it's, like, putting care to what matters. And so, my pivot here for us is, obviously, we just talked about what happened in business. You also are doing something that, in modern-day culture, is much less common. And I applaud you for it, but even still getting into a relationship sooner isn't praised like it used to be. How has one, you know, your balance with relationships been and how has two, like the whole balancing business with, you know, your personal life been for you as well?
0: So, I mean, this is hard to do a lot of times, but whenever I'm like making decisions, I like to think about if I just didn't look at anybody else, what would I want to do, right? Like if I wasn't like looking at the rest of the world and I tell my clients to do this too, like, hey, if you didn't watch anybody else's content, what would you create? right? Like most people just look at other people's content, like, yep, that's what I want to do. But for me, when I, was th- when I was thinking about getting married at a young age, I was just like, hey, what do I want to do without comparing myself to what other people do? Just like when Lala and I were talking about like having kids, it's like, hey, I don't have your, don't have kids to your 25 or at least 27 or whatever that age people expect you to. And we're like, no, we want to have kids now. That's just what we want to do, right? And so the same thing about getting married, it was like, you know, I, I, I this is the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with. And that's a very that's that's a fact that I know at the bottom of my heart. And so why would I delay getting married at all? In fact, we should have got married a year earlier. But (laughs) um, I think that like, I don't know, that's just how I like to think is like, what would I do if I just didn't have the expectation of everybody else weighing on me? And uh, I would 100% get married right away because I know this is who I wanna spend the rest of my life with. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. So I asked her to marry me like six months or a year earlier than she thought I would. She was super surprised. It was like two weeks after she had gotten like a major back surgery. And so she was like, she was like, okay, I guess this is happening right now. And, um, I set up like a Christmas tree because she thought I was going to propose at Christmas, but I did it in the summer instead. So I set up a Christmas tree in the summer on the beach and, uh, proposed right next to it. And, uh, we got married a year later. So I just knew it was who I want to spend the rest of my life with. So I figured why, why wait?
1: Is there any differences for you between the dating life and the married life now?
0: Oh, for sure. It's so much better, bro. So much better. I feel like when you're dating, you like are like half committed to each other. And you know, you like you, you get in these like, little bickering arguments and all this stuff. And like, once you're married, you're like fully committed. You're like, we're in this for the long term. Um, I just love like our day-to-day lives now. Like I love that she gets to travel with me. I love that we get to spend every night together. Like we get to sleep in the same bed. Like we get to like wake up and have coffee together. Um, Like I just, I love, I've loved being married so far. It's way better than dating. Like you're, I was living by myself in Arizona in like some apartment with a bunch of other dudes, like building a business at my desk. And I felt like there was no reason for what I was doing. But now I get like, every time I go inside from my office, I get to see the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. She's sitting right there on the couch or whatever. So it's like, I love being married. I would advise anybody, as long as you have to find the right person to get married younger than you think, I think a lot of people just wait too long. Like why wait if this is a person you want to spend the rest of your life with? I also have this opinion that like, uh, not to like, you know, downgrade, what I currently have, but I think that like, there's a lot of people that you could get married to. Like there's a lot of people out there that would be a great fit. Like, what are the odds that I, my, someone from my freshman year of high school is like the soulmate, the only person that I could ever marry. And it's like, no, there are plenty of amazing people out there that you could get married to. And it's like, if you, if you found someone that you love and that you want to spend the rest of your life with then do it. But that's just my personal opinion. But I'll say one more thing, one little little detail that I think is funny um, about getting married is that like before when I was living by myself, I would like be chill on the couch and maybe like scrolling through my phone or something, you know, between calls or between whatever. And I'm just I'm just hanging out. I'll just like scroll through my phone and kind of chill, maybe watch some TV. And now it's like whenever <laughs> whenever I'm in my house and like I'm just on my phone in the couch or something, like just chilling, not doing anything. And Lila walks in. That's my wife, Lila. I'm like, oh, shoot, I need to be doing something. Like, it's almost like I need a, (laughs) like, I, like, she's like a motivator. She's like, like, she'll even walk in and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just going through Instagram. Like, what? No, go, go do something. Go to work. Go on a date. Go do something. So that's also been a good, a good thing for my motivation and discipline. So
1: that's funny. So do you also feel that, again, I think you said it, but just to reiterate, the, I guess, the petty squabbles, like, the things that, like, seem to have mattered more when you were dating, now that you're married, kind of, like, like they're not really the priority anymore. Like, they kind of wash away because it's like, oh, we're married. Like, why are we going to fight about this?
0: Yeah, it's like, we're literally going to do this for the rest of our life. If you want to argue and bicker about every little thing for the rest of our life, this is not going to be a good marriage. But, like, we I, we don't really argue, like, at all. Like, I can't think of, like, a big argument we've had. Every once in a while, we'll, like, get annoyed with each other or something. But, like, that's that's going to happen no matter what. But we just don't, like there's no more of that like quiet madness where <laughs> we're like, you know, your, your girlfriend maybe will just be mad at you and not tell you why not tell you what's going on, not talk about it. Like maybe that's something different than I do than most people is that we just have an open line of communication now where it's like, she will just say, I'm annoyed with you. I'm going to go sit and be quiet for five minutes. And I'm like, great. Thank you for telling me rather than being quiet about it and not telling me. All right. So it's like that. I think that's where most, most people fail is not having any sort of communication. And I think once you get married, it, well, at least for us, not for everybody, but for us, communication has been so far really good, which is why I think we've not had those little stupid arguments. So.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. Like me and my, um, my partner, Lauren, you know, we have very different communication styles. So we've always emphasized communication because like, like I'm very like bottom line up front, like I can say what I need to say, like, especially when it comes to conflict, like I'm not in the business of feelings, I'm in the business of like okay, there's a problem and there's a solution here. That's a lot of men. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um everything else like I love stories when it comes to like other things like speeches and, and information like I love a good story. But when it comes to conflict again like it is very to it. And the problem isn't that I don't have emotional intelligence because I do have it a lot of times like I use intuition a lot to like read people. But when it comes to like personal matters, there's not that much that's that close to me that's going to impact me. Like you can, you know, read me and criticize me for something that could be a valid criticism. and doesn't really matter. I'm not going to take it personally, right? Like I can learn what you're saying because your impact to me isn't personal, right? It's a business. It's, it's on the outside. Like there's a wall there. But when it's like your person, right? Those things, again, and, we, and they kind of say this a lot of marriage too, or in relationships, like when you have someone that close, they just kind of get right under your skin because you don't really have walls with them because the relationship doesn't require them. So I find that interesting as well, to be honest with you.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Like if it's like, or it's like when like like a little kid says something to you, and they're just like ruthless, and like it actually bothers you because there's a little bit of truth to it. Like that, (laughs) that's kind of like how it can be with like your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. But with like in a business relationship, it's like yeah, like our our primary reason for knowing each other is business. Therefore, you know anything that like if I were just to like you know, critic, critic, criticize you for something like it's not, it's not going to be taken personally. Um, but someone that, like you said, you have those walls down and like, you do care about what they say. Like a lot of people like, never care what people say. I care a lot about what my wife says. Like if she says, yo, yeah, you need to get back in the gym. I'm gonna be like, "Oh shit. I probably need to get back in the gym. Um, whereas like if someone else says it, I'm like, eh, but we have those walls down. So.
1: Okay. I like it. So I'm curious, what is the sleep schedule is like? Are you guys both like early birds? Are you both night owls? Like, how's your balance there?
0: Um, I mean, I probably go to get go to bed between like 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. Like last night I went to bed at like one and I woke up at like 730, I think. So I like to get more sleep than that. Like I'm I'm ai do like to get sleep. But last night I just like couldn't stop thinking. Um, But typically I'll stay up a little bit later and work or we'll go to bed at the same time and then I'll typically get up between 6 30 and 8 depending on what time I went to bed and she'll go she'll almost always get up between like 8 and 9 30 so she gets a little bit more sleep than I do but I uh I wake up with a fire you know I'm ready to go so I gotta get to this office and start working but it's also nice to like get work done before she wakes up that way I feel like you know, accomplished Uh, for some reason, like whatever, like there's, there's a few times where she'll like wake up before me. Like if I stayed up super late or she just wakes up for some reason and I always don't, like I don't feel good about it. Like every time, (laughs) every time she wakes up before me, I'm like, man, I, I would, I just like, I I feel like a little bitch when she, (laughs) she's like up before me and she's like already got some stuff done and I'm just waking up like that just doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't like doing that. So I like waking up a little bit earlier.
1: Oh, that's fair. I can understand that. Um, I'm definitely more of the earning bird. I mean, I get up at like five. So my girlfriend, she likes her sleep. So she's usually not up like unless she has an actual appointment before like 1030, 11 ish. So it's like, it's actually really nice. At first, I didn't like it because I was like, man, I want to spend more time with her. Like, I don't like this. But then as we spent more time together, like I realized like I can go work out. I get ready for the day. I can go grind in the office for like three, four hours, just uninterrupted work. And then when I've seen her, I've done like a basic workday in terms of business. And I can still, and I still keep doing more, but it's like, that's honestly been really nice for me. But the reason I think it's also so important For me, because I would call you more an entrepreneur than a business owner. And the only reason I really say that is because to me, entrepreneurship is the marriage of life and business. And for people like us, there really isn't another way, right? Like the mindset is, I will do this and I'll figure this out or I will die. There's no going back to a normal life. Like normal is never an option. And that's more of an entrepreneurship mindset of let me bootstrap. Let me get the resources. Let me figure this out. More so than let me take over an established business because it's less about the business and more about the business aspect of who we are. And so I think cultivating that is a superpower. But on top of that, the relationships are even more important because, you know, Lila and Lauren, they have a bigger responsibility because they also understand that we want to take on a greater burden. Because, like, you couldn't, you nor I could be in a relationship where our partner asked us to put them over our business, whatever that capacity looks like. You know what I'm saying? Because we wouldn't live with it. But well, go ahead.
0: I mean, I think like it's hard to like define priorities because they're in different sectors of, of life. I do like what you said that like entrepreneurship is the blend between life and business. I like that a lot. I've never heard that. Um, but I, I think that I, it's hard to like put a priority like, oh yeah, you over the business or the business over you. Um, because they're like different parts of life and you need both of them, right? Like you literally, like, I would not want to do what I do every single day. Like it would feel more meaningless to do what I do if I didn't have Lila. And if I had Lila and didn't have a business, then what would I do all day? So it's like, it's not really like, I I don't, at least I personally don't like to think of like, oh yeah, well, I guess the one thing is if you're thinking about them all day or they need your attention or whatever it is while you're running the business yes that would be a problem but with you know since i don't have that problem like she's just like hey you should go work like what are you going to do like what are you doing in here what are you what are you doing drinking coffee at 10 a.m like go go to your office (laughs) so it's like we we have like a a relationship like that where like she you know appreciates both sides of it but at the same time like i like you know taking top taking time off and spending it with her and we go like um, up to the cabin and ski like almost every weekend so it's like there's, there's a good blend. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's like priorities either way. At the end of the day, I'm choosing family over anything. Like, you know, like if, if something bad happens, like I will, I will shut my entire business down just to make sure that we're okay. Right. So like, and I do have those priorities, but at the same time, everything should be fine enough to where I can run. I can do both. So,
1: yeah. So my, I would also say that, you know, from what I see, She's not the kind of person that would, you know, force you to choose. And when I say choice, I don't mean, like, you have to do one or the other. It's just, like, when someone requires all of your attention, like, like, if every time you went to go work on the business, it was like, you need to spend more time with me. Not like you're working eight, ten hours, and you're not spending any time, like, you need to spend more time with me, but just, like, an overall census. But again, it's kind of, like, it's weird because, yeah, God.
0: I I do have a buddy that, you know, a, a close buddy of mine that his uh, girlfriend like does not support well you know says she supports what he does but you know is kind of nagging him all day and like hey can we go do this can we go do that like hey you never spend time with me anymore and it's like so i can i can see the other side of it where like yeah you know you need maybe i just don't i don't need to think about that because my wife doesn't do that but there are relationships where you know the girlfriend or the husband either way um will not support the other person but say they do um, but not actually support them with their actions. So, and I, it really bothers me. Like when my buddy's girlfriend does it, I'm like, bro, you need you need a new girl, but <laughs> he don't listen to me, so.
1: No, that's great. And so I think the last part I really wanna focus on here is again, like you've discovered a lot in business and you've been able to connect to a lot of different business individuals and, and learn, you know, from your own experience, but also the experience of the people working alongside you that you've helped and learn from, you know, how, how has the lessons that business has taught you, like, impacted your personal life, as well as you know? What are some of the key business lessons that you've learned over the last couple of years?
0: Yeah. Um, how the first one was how does how has the business affected my personal life, or how are the business lessons, or
1: the business lessons, like the insights you got from business, how have they affected the personal life, and then how what are the lessons overall that you have learned from business?
0: Yeah, bro. I actually have a. Uh... I have a doc of like my 14 biggest lessons that it was a module that I'm going to drop, but I'll share, I'll pull a couple of them out um, of my biggest lessons. Um, the first thing that it, it's not as much of, you know, on the, on the, on the fourth out for me, but it was when I was starting was that you need to run towards your future and not away from your past. That's like one of the biggest things I talk about is like a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we, we, as business owners or just as humans in general, have these like traumas and like things that we've done or things that have been done to us in the past. And we often will like build this business, make more money, make more money, make more money, trying to run away from these things because we think that, okay, I, you know, got cheated on in the past. So the best way for me to move on from that is to make money. And it's like that problem and that solution don't fit together. The solution is like solve that problem then go run towards the future that you want, which probably involves making more money. And so I've told a lot of people like, Hey, stop running away from your past, actually solve the problems that you, that you need to solve in your past. Talk to the people, have the hard conversations, then run towards, you know, your compelling future vision or whatever. Um, So that's been a, a huge lesson for me, especially starting out. You know, there was a lot of things that I was trying to just make money to solve. When in reality, I should have just solved the thing itself and done the hard thing and had those hard conversations. So. There's lesson number one. Lesson number two, um, I'll just do a couple of them. But lesson number two is the way that I think is I always turn problems into opportunities. So whenever clients come to me or I have problems in my own business and it's like, hey, we're not implementing email. We're not running enough paid ads. We're not as profitable as we should be. It's like most people get down and they're sad and they're like, ah, dang it, dude. Like I'm not not where I wanna be. I think the complete opposite way. And it's not even an artificial way of thinking it's like literally how my brain is wired to this point where it's like i don't view any of these things as problems in fact i get excited when there's things that i can fix because it means that i have the opportunity to make more money make a bigger impact and do more and grow right if you didn't have problems then there would be a problem with that because there's no way for you to grow so i always turn problems into opportunities that's probably like the second lesson so the first one uh, run towards your future not away from your past second turn problems into opportunities um, third thing I'll say um there's a couple couple different ones I could say but i'll I'll say two more actually i'll do I'll do a total of four lessons if that's cool with you. The third one is that speed wins so whenever I say here's the goal I w- here's the goal I set for myself right now the goal is to go from like one point five a year to five million a year right so that's the goal that I've set for myself. Now, if that's the goal, speed is always going to win, which kind of works with my you know, second lesson, which is like fail fast. But like most people say, all right, I want to get to five million a year, or I want to get to like $10,000 a month. And here's all the things I need to do to make that happen. Now I'm going to take my time. I'm going to do one of these things every single day. Whereas I think, how can I get this all done today? <laughs> and it's like, what, what things are going to make the biggest impact? And how can I do those as quick as possible? And so like, whenever I set a goal, I think that's one thing that I was telling one of my clients when we were meeting up in Dallas is like, he was like, dude, what's the number one thing that's contributed to success? And it's like, dude, I just do the things. Like I just do the things quickly. Like most people take their time and they're like, all right, I have this big long to-do list that's gonna get me to 10,000 a month. Let me take, you know, a year to get there. Like however long you set yourself to get there is how long it's gonna take to get there. If you set a year, you'll get there in a year. If you said 10 days, you'll get there in 10 days. So, Speed wins and then the fourth lesson. Um, I have it in here as it's not the program, it's you. But this could apply to anything. It's not the blank, it's you, right? If literally anything has worked for someone else and it's not working for you, don't blame it on the thing. Blame it on yourself. That's what I tell people when they come on program. Hey, if this program isn't working for you, but it worked for fifty, sixty, a hundred other people, just like you, do you think it's the program or do you think it's you? right? And I, I tell that to myself as well. If this funnel isn't working, if this relationship isn't working, if whatever isn't working, if I can't build the sales team, it's not the fact that sales team sucks. It's not the fact that my, that marriage sucks. It's the fact that I'm not making it work. And so if you can just flip your mindset and stop blaming it on the thing and blame it on yourself, maybe you're sad for a second. Oh, I suck. But now you can solve it. If, it's, if you're blaming marriage for the fact that your marriage sucks and you're blaming the concept of marriage, you're never going to solve it because you're blaming it on that thing. And that thing's never going to change. But if you blame it on yourself, you can actually now take responsibility and solve that problem. So there's four of my my lessons from, from 2023 for you.
1: There you go. I love it. So the one thing, you know, I'm thinking right now, especially when it comes to the the aspect of like, of how you mentioned speed, because I know there's a lot of lessons here. But if I'm looking at, you know, my read on you, there's there's an idea of, the, the shooting model, where it's basically like, you know, how does someone shoot if they were, when it comes to their life? And so it's basically like, you know, do you look at the range? Do you look down the scope? Do you aim? Do you kind of put it back down? Do you aim again? when Like, when is the firing point between these lines? And so the way I, like, what I've seen you is like, it's kind of like, okay, I know I'm in the right range. Let me just fire. And then I'm gonna look down the scope and see how close it was to the target. Because your approach isn't big and bulky. It's the lean startup. Your approach isn't how do we build the best first product, it's, or the best first prototype, it's what's the minimal viable product? Because I feel like you've also realized that the market responding to what you're doing is gonna be the most honest form of feedback for you to then iterate and kind of pivot where you need to. Would you kind of say that's more accurate to what you're saying?
0: You gotta look at how many bullets you got, right? So if you're talking about the concept of, of ready, fire, aim, right, that's like a, a popular, I think it's like a book or something, right? But I like the concept in itself. If you look at ready, fire, aim, if you have unlimited bullets, why would you not do that over and over and over and over again and just keep firing? Now, there are instances where you don't have unlimited bullets, right? Maybe you're working a job, you have limited capital, you have limited time, you have limited resources, you have a family to support, whatever it is. In that case, yeah, you don't have that many bullets. Maybe you should be a little bit more careful with the ready part. But most people have more bullets than they think. And when I was starting out, I had unlimited bullets, right? I was like, I'm single. I don't, I live by myself. Worst case scenario is I drive Uber and I pay my rent or I live in my car. Like I could care less. Like I have unlimited bullets right now. I'm going to fire, 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 fire until I find somebody that works. So it's like working with financial advisors, doing the internship, getting my real estate license, doing, trying drop shipping, trying Amazon FBA, trying door-to-door sales, trying real estate wholesaling, trying all these things that I did try. I was literally calling people, asking them if I could buy their houses, when I had no idea how the hell I was gonna buy their house, right? But I was just trying things. I was just shooting, shooting the gun, right? And I had like unlimited bullets at that point. So it's just like evaluate your situation, be honest with yourself, how many bullets do you have? How much time do you have? How much resources do you have? and fire, then aim. So that's how I think.
1: And so obviously with your mindset being different, like again, you know, even regardless of the success rate, like the uncommonness of going this route, especially this early, it's been more popularized, but it's still not the most common path. Have you dealt with loneliness at a big portion of your life or multiple portions of your life?
0: Yeah, I would say I was really lonely for like the two years that I did college. Um, cause I was like starting a business. All my buddies are out drinking and having fun and partying and hanging out with girls every night. And I was just in my dorm and I said, sorry, I have a sales call at 7am. I can't go. Right. And so like, that was probably the most lonely time of my life. I also didn't have God at that point either. So it was like, that was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Jesus. So I, so I was, I was not only alone in that sense, but also alone in the fact that there was no one around me doing the same exact thing. Um, in fact, they were all doing the complete opposite thing. So that was a little bit hard and lonely and that was probably like the hardest season to get through but I'm glad that I grinded it out and did it. And now I wouldn't say that I really feel lonely at all. I feel like I have a great community. I have my wife, I have my wife's family, I have my my own family. Um, You know, it'd be nice to have some other people nearby me that like actually did the same thing. Um, But the reality is that like, you know, I live in a small town, there's not gonna be a lot of other people making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a month nearby. But at the end of the day, I have a, I have an online community, which is great. And I have an in-person community, which is great. And uh, I don't need other people to be making millions of dollars a year to relate to them and like to get along with them. I just need, you know, people, things that we can relate on fitness or Jesus or church or whatever it is. So right now I would say I'm not lonely at all. Like, cause you know, it'd be, it'd be great to have some more friends that are, that were like-minded, but at the same time, I'm grateful for where I'm at. But college, those two years were definitely lonelier.
1: What coping uh, mechanisms did you develop during those
0: times for it? Or was it just kind of like turning into the work to avoid it? Um, It was probably just turning to the work to avoid it. I mean, I did have like some friends, which definitely helped. Um, But in terms of like thinking about business, I would say that I cope with it by just working but also by like buying all sorts of like coaching programs and like going to these group calls and stuff just to like be in a call with people that were doing the same thing like having a community of people just cuz if you're around you know a hundred other people doing the same same exact thing you're trying to do and they've all had success with it the odds that you're going to be successful would be a lot more. You just, it's just more believable, right? You see a hundred people on a zoom screen that are all doing exactly what you want to do. So I would, I bought like all sorts of crappy coaching programs and stuff um, wasted my money in those, which is probably a coping mechanism in and of itself. And, um, but I also had friends and um, I wouldn't say that I had like any super unhealthy coping mechanisms for loneliness. Um, maybe a, a, a couple, a couple times where I made some mistakes, but, Other than that, I would say it was just like, turn to work and get to work, which turned out to be, you know, a good thing.
1: Yeah, I like it. So for me, really just wrapping it up here, I want to create a scenario for you. So we got a 23 year old guy, finished college a year ago. He's been working as a financial planner. He makes 60K a year. Okay, now this guy realizes he's miserable. He doesn't really like working with a job. He doesn't like the hours. He doesn't like, you know, having someone over him. He wants to start his own business, right? He studied finance in college, has a bachelor's. Now he's been a planner for about seven, eight months. He wants to pivot over to a business. What's the advice you would give him, both the business advice and the life advice to kind of set him on his way?
0: Yeah, I mean, first thing I would say is don't quit your job. We need that money. We need some mad spend, baby. Um, so keep <laughs> keep the job for a little bit. Um, But if you, typically, if you have an end in mind, like if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, then it makes the current situation a little bit better. So like, if you know that like, hey, within four to six months, I'll be able to quit my job, you'll be able to actually enjoy your day-to-day job more, right, because you know that there's an end to it versus like this feeling of like, I'm gonna be stuck here forever. So the first thing is keep the job, but at least have like a goal, like a timeline of like in six months or a year, I wanna be quitting this job. Um, But you also probably need it to pay rent, all that stuff. Don't quit your job. All right unless you have like a hundred thousand liquid don't quit the job um second thing i would say is that i have this concept of this thing i call the game and that there's three levels to the game the first thing is doing things the second thing is showing people how to do things and the third level is leverage and scale but let's just talk about the first level because that's what you know where you probably have to start first level is doing some sort of online service-based business that is my number one go to the fastest path to 10,000 or 100,000 a month is an online service based business. And you want to take the skills that you have and leverage them. So if he's a financial planner, or financial advisor, I literally have a financial advisor in my program that makes I think it's like 10 to 20,000 a month, I think he just made 17,000 last month. Um, instead of working for somebody else, creating his own financial advising plan, and then coaching and consulting his own clients rather than working for somebody else. So if there's a financial advisor, 23 years old, making 60 grand a year, I probably say, Hey, dude, why don't we make you sixty grand a month um, instead of every year working with your own private clients, building a personal brand online, um, running paid ads, creating an offer, running ads towards the offer. um, And that's like, that's exactly what I would do. So I think we could probably like, You know, if I did that right now, I could probably get to a hundred thousand a month within six months. But if I was showing some, you know, someone else who's brand new, doesn't have any skills or experience, they could probably get to 10,000 a month within six months in a reason. You know, that's a pretty reasonable timeline, which would allow him to probably quit his job. So that would probably be my personal advice. Um, But I've just done it for so many clients now that it's kind of like clockwork.
1: What would be the personal advice? I mean, what's the kind of character and the mindset and the mentality you would need in order to be a business owner or an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, so I think not everybody's cut out to do it, but if it if you really hate your job that much, you know, it's really like that's the alternative. So it's like you got to you got to learn to love it. Um I didn't, you know, think that I was going to be a business owner though. Like when I'm a junior in high school, I wanted to be a doctor. I think I was even a senior in high school, I still wanted to be a doctor. So it's like you know, I didn't, I, I always thought of like business owner, like that was never even an option for me. Um, but if, you know, a 23 year old is like, you know, if they're hating their job and they hate a nine to five, like dude, it's either that or it's entrepreneurship. Those are your two options, bro. And so if you hate the nine to five, entrepreneurship is not an easy game, but it's one that I love and I think it's really fun, but it wasn't always fun. Like it's really hard in the beginning. Like it's really hard in the beginning. Um, like it's not, like it's not going to be fun because you're not good at it, Right. You're not good. You're you're never good at something when you start, and if you're not good at it, it's not going to be very fun. But until you put a lot of work in, a lot of hours in, you know, one, two, three years in of work, then it starts to get fun. But honestly, I still think that in the beginning, it's probably more fun than working a nine to five still, because you're learning something new every single day. You're having to implement new things. So I would just have a learner's mindset. I would just soak up as much information as I possibly can. Um, and I would say that like you know. Speed wins, fail fast, um, whatever opportunity you pursue, it's not the opportunity, it's you, blame yourself, turn problems into opportunities. I would just take my four biggest lessons and implement them right into his brain, boom. He's a seven-figure business owner. But
1: <laughs> I love it. So to close out, if you could just share with the audience where they can find you, where they can see everything that you're doing, as well as what is your one big takeaway from our conversation today? And I'll share mine after you.
0: Yeah, bro, you can find me anywhere. You just search up Grayson Lupus. So G-R-A-Y-S-O-N-L-O-U-P-A-S. Anywhere on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever. You could also just go to valuecreator.io. That's our website. You can feel free to check that out. Um, let's see, biggest takeaway from today. Um, I would probably say the biggest takeaway is is the realization that the relationship I have isn't normal um, with my wife, I mean. Um, And I think a lot of people don't have that kind of support, don't have that kind of person in their life. Um, And I think it's just good to be reminded of how special that is, and that I'm very blessed to have someone like that. Um, Because, you know, thinking about my friend's girlfriend and I'm like, oh man, I can't imagine. But um, it's good to know that that I'm very blessed with what I have and that I should be grateful. So that's probably like, honestly, my biggest takeaway.
1: I love it. You know, I think Nietzsche said there's more wisdom in our body than our deepest philosophies. And I feel that you are a living proof of what it means to put things into practice and just do the thing, right? Instead of thinking about the ideas or what could go wrong or what will go wrong, right? We're not worried about Murphy's Law, but really in the case of what do I have to do to get there? And I feel that a lot of people lose out on their potential because they fail to execute because they're so worried about what people are going to think we're being perfect or that they don't have all the resources or they're not ready. When the fact of the matter is that there's people that have made whatever their version of success was without having one or all of those. And so I feel that sometimes the real lesson is just do the thing, stop asking and just start implementing, right? Because I think the lessons that we learn from trying something are always going to outweigh because they're more personal than just trying to learn all the information. And so again, I really thank you for your time. I hope to everyone out there that you enjoy this conversation. Again, the whole point of what we do here is bringing on Mavericks, right? The rare breeds of thinkers and doers to have these conversations about what it means to be a high performer and what it means to win, right? Winning isn't, you know, fun and inspiring. It's cold, it's cutthroat, and it takes a long time. But it's also the thing that creates meaning and it creates sacrifice from that meaning. And we're able to create the life that we want and we love it because we figured out that that's how we live fulfilling, right? We make the money, we create the impact, and we create the change. And so in your lives, I would suggest that you guys figure out what it is that you want. And if you already know what you want, what's stopping you from getting there even quicker? And then once you've kind of set the target on the destination, how can you bring the destination into the process and just focus on working the day-to-day and loving what you do day-to-day? Grayson, I want to thank you again for your time. Everyone, you know how we close it out. Veni, Vidi, Vici, I came. I saw, I conquered. That concludes today's episode of The Isaac Velez Show. If you gained any value from today, we'd be grateful if you share the episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you were looking to get more involved with us, visit our website, www.isaacantoniovelez.com and follow us on Instagram for daily content.